0: I think that we all have this moment, and it doesn't even have to be with a death, right? It could be anything that is that before and that after. I wanted to give a name to this one moment that changes you forever. This one moment that is the portal to grief, the doorway. It's the call. You know, I got the call the morning my mother died as I was on my way to do something and then head back to her and stopping in the street feeling like, you know, my, my stomach had fallen and I was just, I, I started to free fall in some way and I didn't know where I would land. It's the moment where you you have that news, you know, you get a diagnosis yeah. or, you know, you're, you're at the vet with your pet and you get that news. It's that one moment that everyone can relate to, yeah. you know, the moment your person breaks up with you, that you don't know what to do next. Yeah. You don't know where it will take you, what that will look like, what you will feel, how you will even navigate it.
1: Welcome back, my friends, to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kefauver. Isn't it time you moved on? Why can't she move on already? They need to just let go of it. I think we can all agree that when we hear things like that, we want to scream a string of expletives every time. Whether we're grieving a death loss, the end of a friendship, a breakup, or an ambiguous loss, 100% of us experience grief. Yet so many of us feel stuck because the old ways of thinking, of moving on, just don't align with what we know we need deep down, to find a way to move forward, not on and to be able to carry our person with us in our hearts. That's why I am thrilled to be in conversation today with fellow social worker, Gina Moffa. She's the author of Moving On Doesn't Mean Letting Go, A Modern Guide to Navigating Loss. She's a licensed grief and trauma psychotherapist and mental health educator in New York City. In practice for two decades, Gina helps people seeking treatment for trauma, grief, as well as challenging life experiences and transitions. One of Gina's clinical passions is helping people to navigate different types of losses in a way that helps them find their own sense of meaning and thus invite life in again a little bit at a time. She is full of warmth and wisdom, and you are going to love the topics we explore today. You all, I get to say this, Gina Maffa,
0: welcome to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast. Oh, my God. I'm so happy to be here with you, Lisa. This is a dream come true.
1: Same. (laughs) I feel the same. Y'all off the air, we were already vibing on how similar our approaches are to bringing our personal and professional lens to really helping to unpack what it means to grieve, particularly what it means to grieve in in this culture, in Western culture. And um, so you're going to just hear us probably nerding out and saying, yes, me too. And hopefully as a listener, you're going to be nodding your head right along with what we have to share. But today um, we're going to be talking about Gina's incredible book, Moving On Doesn't Mean Letting Go, which can we just all repeat that for a minute? Moving on doesn't mean letting go. I'm going to drop a link in the show notes. You all know that. You could also should follow um, Gina on social media to keep up with her appearances, et cetera. But we're going to be diving deep into this book. And listeners, what you're in a treat for for today in our conversation, but also, of course, when you pick up your copy of the book, is it's not just that Gina's bringing her wisdom and her professional experience as a therapist for these past few decades to bear. She brings a very thoughtful, compassionate, personal approach to walking alongside us and helping us pace, because I think um, that's some of the challenge for so many of us. So you're going to get to enjoy that today, listeners. I'm so excited for you and for me, because we get to be in conversation. Gina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. So I've already, if you're watching clips or seeing this, you can see I've gotten, listen to the little ASMR here, all the tabs of all the places. And that's not even all the places I've tabbed. So we're going to dive deep into some of the, you had some um terms and themes that you worded differently than I've ever heard before. So we're going to dive into that. We're going to get into some of the basics, things like emotional bypassing and the relationship between grief and attachment, um, our har- the harm that we have around our beliefs, around emotions, all kinds of stuff. But I want to start, and I think you maybe have, of all my guests can appreciate this, really helping us understand where your early grief beliefs came from. And I ask this of every guest in case you're a new listener to the show to help us understand that we all have beliefs about grief, whether or not anyone in our family ever talked to us about grief or loss. And those grief beliefs can support us in our season of loss and they can also cause unnecessary suffering. So we all need to sort of get clear on where they came from and what they are. So, can you think back to an early loss? In your life, and mm-hmm. um, how are the adults modeling grief or not modeling grief and loss? What did that look like? What did you learn when you look back now?
0: It was really interesting because I feel like my family is really demonstrative when it comes yeah. to grief in sharing their tears and and bodily movements you know like okay. thrashing about or you know palm to the forehead. And, you know, very Italian, black lace, you know, at funerals. Okay. And yet, no one ever spoke. No one ever spoke about the losses. Mm. You would see the adults crying. You would see them, you know, holding on like they were about to faint almost. And, you know, looking really forlorn. But no one ever spoke. And so, after the wakes or after the funeral, people would just eat and and yeah. and gather, and it would be like, "Oh, okay, we just did this thing, and now we're eating, and life just kind of goes on." Yeah. And it was really strange, you know. It was my great grandmother who died. I was very close with her, and she died when I was ten. And I remember what I wore, and I remember kind of sitting watching everybody. Yeah. Um, from this chair, I was sitting with my grandmother and, and she was just so over the top with her body. I did, I, I was kind of afraid of her, you yeah. know, what was going to happen, but no one spoke. And it was to this day, one of the, one of the most bizarre things, you know, that we could be so physical in it so briefly, and then it's gone, um, so yeah, I mean, it was it was always really confusing to me, but it was always incredibly demonstrative. I so appreciate You might be one of the first
1: guests I had that sort of showed the both and of the way in which we learned about grief in that particular way, because I think to the power of sort of like adornment and when we think of mourning practices, right, and ritual mourning rituals, but also the demonstrativeness, which has its place, as you even talk about in your beautiful book, right? Emotions need to move, right? And so like the movement, the tears, maybe the big hand gestures, as you said, the hand over the forehead are important. Mm -hmm. And what there was missing. So was not only that they were not talking about um, their feelings, but did that also mean they were not bringing that person's memory forward in terms of you know, do you remember how great grandma did this or, or was it sort of yeah. all? Yeah. All
0: never. The only thing we've ever talked about again was my great, grand my great grandmother had a, an affinity for Chips Ahoy cookies. I mean, and to the to the point where she had she had them lined up, and they were they were piled up so high that they you know they were uh, almost as high as the doorknob you know in on, in one of the rooms that she had in her house, and it was this visual that I'll always have. And people bring that up a lot. Yeah, that was yeah. sort of what they took. Like, oh, she had so many cookies. What are we going to do with these cookies? <laughs> and maybe it started my love of cookies. But I mean. <laughs> That's not a bad tradition to pass down in the family. Not a bad right? tradition. But yeah. definitely strange, you know? Yeah. Very unique. So, yeah.
1: Well, it's so interesting. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. And what was your great grandmother's name? How about we bring her into the room?
0: Sure. Josephine. Okay.
1: Josephine. Thank you for sharing Josephine with us and her love of Chips boy, <laughs> So important. It's interesting to me, whenever I'm speaking with someone who's been a professional helper, you know, um, in hospice or palliative or, in your case, in a therapist specializing in grief and trauma, to share just a little bit about what drew you to the profession, Mm -hmm. um, what you know now about what drew you to the profession. I'm so interested because so many of us who get into the profession think we're going in for one reason, and then when we look back, we realize we went in for a different reason. What drew you into the profession and why grief and trauma as your specialties now?
0: Yeah, well, actually, you know, I was an international relations major and political science and a psych minor. And so I knew that I wanted to put those things together. And then I was doing a thesis on terrorism and the psychological aftermath. And shortly after, September 11th happened. Mm. And it, it sort of it helped me sort of segue from law school to kind of human behavior and wanting to do more of that. It was the first time that PTSD and trauma became a mainstream term that you heard in your living room outside of just, you know, being associated with Vietnam and war syndrome. And so I was really fascinated by the fact that no one knew what to do. Everybody was ruminating. You know, I live in New York city, so it was very, very, you know, very present for us. And it, it really just put a spark inside of me of, I, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of helping people move through this because I don't really, I'm just at the tip of even understanding what trauma is. yeah And, you know, and so I want to learn more and I want to use it in some way. And so it started out, um my working through you know NYU and then doing a um a certification program after on trauma studies and it was one of the first kind of around back in 2005 and you know back in the stone ages of trauma <laughs> <Exactly>. yeah <laughs> and um and i was doing it at NYU and you know through the years you know i i was realizing that everyone was talking about the trauma and the nervous system and no one was talking about the loss when No one was talking about the loss within a trauma, that sensation of before and after yeah. and how we pick up the pieces, what that looks like. How do we mourn what was and how do we look through the layers of even the secondary losses and the, you know, cumulative losses. And I got really interested in that. Um, and so I sort of realized that they were both together They're You know, in my book, I even call them sisters. Yes. And, you know, a lot of people would think, you know, you can have grief without trauma. That is true, but you yeah. can't have trauma without grief. And so um, it felt important for me to, to always kind of have them joint just in case, you know, yeah. just yeah. in case, at least to be mentioned. Um, and so that's how I got into it. And it just felt like a sweet spot for me that it felt like a lot of my colleagues weren't, you know, they were afraid of it in a way. Sometimes, you know, yeah. grief is something that unless you've you've come face to face with it in some yeah. way personally, it can be really a strange and somewhat awkward thing to confront. And I think because everybody grieves differently, you know, a therapist even coming into it, it, it can be like a danger zone. Like what if I get this wrong? Because it's not, you know, I don't know their way. Yeah. Um. And so I just felt like I wanted to go in and be a part of what I felt wasn't being addressed or helped or, confronted so to speak
1: yeah yeah well what a powerful and brave space to enter although it sounds to me like it was more of a like an instinct or a calling maybe not necessarily a decision you made thinking that you're being brave per se but (laughs) um i think we're so grateful and so many things you touched on remind me of of things i felt like we were having a conversation when i was reading your book you know i was I was having conversations. Sometimes I was speaking out loud, but so many things you touched on in the book around the relationship between grief and trauma, around the secondary losses, um, that I want to dive into. I think something I just want to pull out that you said that I think is important for all of us listening is um, you were entering a field. This was twenty, almost twenty years ago, where therapists were, you know, more hesitant to talk about grief because. You know, we didn't know we weren't trained in it. I don't know about you, but in my master's program, there was no course on grief, right? Which is sort of mind boggling, you know, to me, Um, which is why I was so grateful to be invited to teach that, you know, in the school of social work at UT Austin. But most of us, whether you're my age in your 50s or your 40s or 30s, even your 20s, even in today's culture where we thankfully have so many more folks like you, like me, I'm speaking with Megan Riordan Jarvis later today for the pod. Amazing. You know, so many people are having these conversations. I still want to recognize for most of us at the individual level, we're still existing in a pretty grief, illiterate culture. We're still existing in a world where it's not just the Mm -hmm. therapist who doesn't want to touch the subject because they're worried about getting it wrong. It's your best friend and your neighbor and your boss. Right. And so we're doing this work to unpack that to make it easier, but I just want to sort of name and normalize that we've made progress, but we still have some ways to go. So if you, the listener, is feeling some sort of way like, we haven't actually made it there yet because in your world, you don't experience that. That's that's why I do the pot, and that's why we're here to have yeah. this conversation.
0: And thank God for this. Yeah. I yeah. mean, even... Even though I think grief is finally getting its day in yeah. the sun, you know, yeah. Hollywood is covering it more yeah. and we're talking about it more thanks to the pandemic. I I, I didn't think I'd ever say thanks to yeah. a pandemic. Yeah. Um. But it's still something that people really, you know, because of capitalism or, you know, all of this, we're just, how do we be, how are we more productive? How do we move through life faster? Yes. Yeah. And, and I work with younger people and they're like, how do I get through this? Like, less, yeah. I got things to do. Yeah. And I know I have time for this, and so if you tell me I have to sit with my grief forever i, I I'm not going to be able to do it and it's so it's really interesting now is the time that yeah. we really do have to teach people what the experience is about, even though it could be different for everybody yeah. that there's you know there is sort of a blueprint in some way, but it it's yeah. really hard it is a yeah. really really grief illiterate society
1: yes, yeah, and that isn't a point i mean you probably know this and my listeners know if you have heard my TED talk or that point you just made about even as we come to recognize what grief really is and isn't, which is, you know, moving on and walking through the five stages in a neat orderly fashion. Even as we learn that, we are still parts of systems, family systems, workplace systems, medical systems, mm-hmm. even in some ways, I would say the, the health and wellness system and certainly capitalism that oh doesn't really... There's a real confrontation between the ways in which those systems need and want to operate and the and the beliefs that generate them and the, the ways in which we need to operate and the beliefs we need to hold as we move forward with our grief that sometimes mm-hmm. are at a real crossroads. I would say not yeah. sometimes, a lot of times. A lot of times. A lot of times are at a real crossroads. So um, that's just a context that's not meant to be sort of a bummer, but just as a reminder to each of us is if, as you said, like one of Gina's clients, you feel this sort of pull like, yeah, 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 I, I, you're telling me to be with my grief, but I I got to get back to work. I think we both might want to say we see you and we know that that that's a that's a real complexity. There's a real both and. Yeah to, um, grieving in the modern world. So I I appreciate that, that context that you offered. And I want to dive into some, you know, I love a good term and, and just like good ways of thinking one of the first, I mean, even your intro, I sort of fell in love, but one of the first terms that kind of got me, um, smiling and nodding and saying "Uh uh-huh you know yes was um your phrase grief fall oh yeah which um (laughs) you said at the time which is the chat title of one of the chapters of your book but you said grief grief all or grief fall grief fall (laughs) grief fall right (laughs) the free fall after loss the compass that both loses and finds you nothing is ever the same Mm -hmm. can you help listeners feel into what what that term means for you why what did you want us to know about that why was it important to sort of describe that experience for all of us in that way
0: yeah i mean i think that i think that we all have this moment and it doesn't even have to be with a death right it could be anything that is that before and that after i wanted to give a name to this one moment that changes you forever yeah. This one moment that is the portal to grief, the doorway, it's the call. You know, I got the call the morning my mother died as I was on my way to do something and then head back to her and stopping in the street, feeling like, you know, my my stomach had fallen and I was just, I I started to free fall in some way and I didn't know where I would land. It's the moment where you, you, you have that news, you know, you get a diagnosis or, you know, you're. you're at the vet with your pet and you get that news. It's that one moment that everyone can relate to, you know, the moment your person breaks up with you, that you don't know what to do next. You don't know where it will take you, what that will look like, what you will feel, how you will even navigate it. And And like, there's no ground beneath you. That's why I think I love that sort of concept of,
1: yeah, that free fall.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just remember even early in my life, sort of, you know, after a very harrowing breakup and, you know, the moment that I kind of walked out and I was like, <gasps> like, what do I do next? I didn't prepare for this. Yeah. This is terrifying. And I don't know if I will land and what that will look like. And how do I survive that? How do I not hit the edges on the way down. And I think that visceral feeling and that visual for me even was something that I wanted to give people because I know everyone has experienced that one moment that nothing is ever the same.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so profound to read it again. And I loved even in that description that you used that word, you know, the compass, because I think um, as you talked about throughout the book, as I talk about often is. We have the illusion that we have, I mean, we are storytelling creatures. That's just the nature of who we are as humans. But we also have this illusion that we have this map and we've, in our mind, played out how things are going to be. And when we have some profound loss, again, I think, importantly to note, not always a death loss. It could be a breakup. It could be a diagnosis. It could be, you know, finding out that you're infertile. There's lots of ways in which that story, that that compass, that orienting place that we're in, all of a sudden is missing. Right. And we're now learning to navigate a world and sort of, and reorient ourselves, build a new compass for ourselves. And, um, yeah, I just thought that was, I mean, you shared throughout the book as you were just sharing the the death of your mom and remind me of your mom's name, if you want to share her.
0: Oh, What's sure. That? her name her name is Rose
1: Rose. Oh, beautiful. So thank you for sharing Rose with us, which you did throughout the book, and I appreciated that balance. you know, so you described your own, as you just said, the the call that you got and your own experience. But you also did such a beautiful job sharing what I understand, I'm sure, is a composite, but of some of the ways in which you've witnessed your patience over the years come time and time again to some of these um I don't know barriers that we all come to or these kind of crossroads in our yeah. in our grief um and I just so appreciate the way that you helped us see versions of you versions of other people that might be like us right or that we yeah. might recognize it was really powerful it was really
0: powerful. that was my hope thank you yeah. yeah i feel like my what because grief is so so disorienting yeah. that for me, if we can create visuals, if we can create ways, almost like the ropes in a, in a windstorm, you know, yeah. like I can't see what's ahead, but there's a rope to hold onto. Yeah. I don't know where it lands or where we're going with it, but there's something. And I just feel like as human creatures, we crave that rope. yes, um, yeah, even if we don't know. And so, you know, our job, which you do all the time is really creating that rope, um, yeah. In some way, and and even if it's just a term or just a yeah. visual that you can create for somebody, it could be that simple, you know. And so that that was the hope. That was the hope.
1: Yeah. No, I think you do it. Rope. You do it beautifully throughout the book. And yeah, I think whether we call them tethers or anchors or visuals, that was just grounding. You know, we need these. We need these places, people, moments, sights, sounds, something to help yeah. us feel grounded when the world feels like i mean there's all the metaphors we can use when it feels like the world is spinning you know when the ground comes out from underneath us that is such a you i mean yes each of us grieve differently we're going to talk a little bit later about kind of our grief rhythms which i really love that (laughs) term as well yes we do that but even as um, my former guest colin campbell says even though we grieve differently there are some There are some common themes. There are some shared experiences. And so we need to make sure we're bringing both forward. So both the permission to sort of not compare yourself to others in that way that harms you Mm -hmm. while (laughs) this is a delicate dance while also being reminded I've been there too. And I've been there yeah. too. I see you. You're not alone. This isn't a problem that you're going through. And that's the dance that I think as providers, as people who work with individuals or grievers, but even as friends, and even the the job for ourselves is to remind ourselves of that dance. You know, this is just the way I'm doing it right now. And I'm not the first person to feel this way either. And there's something really grounding about that.
0: Yeah it really yeah. is yeah because even though it's not even though it's not an exact map you're you're in the territory
1: yeah yeah you're in the territory <laughs>
0: um you know early
1: on in the book you called us all on including yourself um something that many of us do in life but per, for certain in grief which is um using some of our skills ideas practices to bypass our emotions <clears throat> <guilty. laughs> who does I, that who does that? I mean i did <laughs> I actually shared a, a reel, i think earlier this earlier this year about the emotional bypassing i I was doing. I called myself on it um as I moved through this cancer um experience with breast cancer what What have you learned over the years about emotional bypassing from yourself, from your patients that we we might need to know whether we're in early grief or somewhere down the road?
0: I think that, you know, one of the things I talk a lot about in the book is our honesty and why that feels important to me is because I don't believe that we can navigate something unless we're honest about it. Even if it's just with ourselves. Oh, entirely. Right. Most of the time, though, when we bypass, we start with us. (laughs) Yeah. So it's so to me it felt like this we've entered this good vibes only world and you know as i said earlier you know the world's speeding up who wants to you know it's 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 part who wants to hear it forever who will still give me you know the comfort and yeah. care and attention if i'm still grieving in X amount of time. So some of it is that, and then some of it is, you know, what we've been bred to think as Americans, you know, I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. It's going to be fine. I've got this or, you know, um, you know, everything happens for a reason or there's some spiritual meaning in this that I'm going to create with my magical thinking. And 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 could it be good for a little while? Sure, I don't say don't ever do it, but what I what I think is so important is if we're not honest about what we're experiencing, we really find ourselves in a place where we don't know what steps to take next, yeah. and we get stuck in the maze of bypassing because then it's all we can. That's all we know. We're just gonna cycle through it like the rinse cycle, because it doesn't give us a map forward. It's just an excuse to not feel what we feel. Yeah. And we're always looking for that, especially if it's bad. Yes. And you know, so I I really wanted to invite people slowly and at their own pace and, you know, to try to come clean and give themselves the permission to feel what they feel as they feel it, but to look at it with really honest eyes. Yeah. Because that's the only way to engage and befriend something that we're terrified of. Yeah. No, I so appreciate that and
1: and just to confirm, a hundred percent of us have um engaged in emotional bypassing. Even 100%. your most skilled therapist has done it too and will yeah. probably do it again. Again, I think I'm doing it today. Right. I, <laughs> I mean, I think I think we you know, which you touch on a lot in the book, which I appreciate. I mean, emotions in some ways, especially again, because of the culture we've grown up in, but big emotions feel like a threat to us often. And so emotional bypassing in some ways, I mean, if you look at it kind of like through an IFS lens, through an internal family systems lens, is sort of Mm -hmm. like, thank you system for helping me not walk right into the trap of what feels like danger. Right. So it's like, yes, we do that. And As you said, if we can't get to the root of really what's happening, then we are not in a position or in a place to actually see what the realistic next best step is for us. 100%. Yeah. 100%. We need to reorient ourselves back to that. And as you said, it can happen in little, you know, doses. Mm -hmm. It's not all or nothing like we like to do. It's like, as you said, you have clients who are like,
0: can I just hurry up and like, just feel all the feels right now so I can just... Let's get it over with. Yeah, which and they're also know. the good vibes only. You know, at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Let's find the meaning. Let's jump to meaning. Yeah. And and Ooh, we I'm do that a lot. So as a guilty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I
1: definitely ca- I'm calling myself on that. When we get to grief grief rhythms later, I want to talk about that too. I mean, I definitely saw myself in quite a few of those. Um, and I do want to say, I think you even p- point this out in the book. Just for those who are listening who haven't read the book yet, is that. Finding meaning or having affirmations that make you feel good or any of those things that we're talking about, they're not inherently bad. Those can be useful tools. And when they are in total replacement of feeling the rage, feeling the sorrow, feeling the resentment, getting in touch with where the guilt stories are or the shame stories are, that's when they are problematic. So it's, again... It's not all or nothing. Right. We have we can find places for both. But most of us try to do do not pass go do not collect $200. (laughs)
0: Right. We try to get already to the every time, every every time. time. Yeah. And then there are people, you know, because then you're comparing yourself to others. Right. So and so is able to do this. Why am I not there? I'm comparing and despairing even in my despair. And so it's it it really puts us in a dangerous place when we jump to that place. And it's, it's, we have to be able to feel those things first. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: you touch on a lot in the book. I don't know we'll get into now, but y'all just need to get a copy of this book (laughs) because I think we talk about that a lot. Just feel your feelings. But part of what you help us unpack, because for a lot of us, we don't, what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we become more embodied, For those of us who have a trauma history feeling embodied, it feels very unfamiliar. I've said recently, I feel looking back like I've spent a good amount of my life disassociated from early trauma, right? So you do unpack that for us a lot in the book. And I really appreciated the way that you didn't assume that we all know how to do that.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I think that it's so easy for people to say this is a safe space and this is a safe place. And I am in no position, even as a therapist, to assume what safety means yeah. to anyone. And so, you know, I want people to understand that it's okay to not know how you feel or not know how to feel what you feel. And maybe here are some of the reasons why. Yeah. You know, when we're really young, we learn how to feel our feelings and, or if it's okay or or not. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I talk about safety in this book nonstop because I don't want anybody navigating something that feels dangerous and that feels depersonalizing or re-traumatizing in any way. And I think it can be really easy to go to that place and, you know, anyone can say, feel what you feel. Yeah. Um, but, I, I can't do, I mean, even just saying that, I'm like, no, don't yeah. feel what you feel unless you're safe, <laughs> yeah. yeah. you know, or you're in a safe relationship or in a safe home or whatever it may be. Um, And that feels really, really important. You know, even as I just said, it's so you have to feel what you feel and you do. Yeah, It doesn't have to be all at once and it doesn't have to be right away. Yeah,
1: because part of emotional safety isn't just the container or the place or the person that you're maybe Showing your emotions to there's it's your own emotional safety for yourself, how are you um your embodied self holding that and receiving that true right? yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: you touched on just there, which I think is a great um segue, I guess into you know that we learn how to feel or how not to feel in our young adult and our and our young childhood um you dive in into this book about the relationship between grief and attachment and our various attachment styles. And I would love for you to help our listeners start to understand why it might be important to understand those connections for themselves as they're moving through their grief. I legitimately just had a conversation with a client yesterday about this exact topic. So the timing couldn't have been better. But what what do we need to know about the relationship between grief and attachment? When we come back, Gina helps us understand the relationship between our attachment styles and our grief. She helps us break down where our attachment styles come from and then how that might show up in our grieving process. You're listening to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch podcast with my guest today, Gina Maffa. I'm your host, Lisa Kefauver. Friends, I'm focusing on three C's in 2024. And no, not the C, Cancer. That C I've been enduring all of 2023. My focus for 2024 is these three C's. Connection, collaboration, and celebration. Why am I telling you that? Well, my friend, that's because... I want to connect and celebrate with you this year. As I've shared in previous episodes, my book, Grief is a Sneaky Bitch, an Uncensored Guide to Navigating Loss, is now available for pre-order. Seriously, this still gives me the chills every time I say it. As a first-time author, I'm learning that pre-orders of the book are really important to show bookstores, which happens to be my favorite place to hang out, and my publisher that the shelves need to be stocked fully when the book drops June 4th. So I realize this is a perfect opportunity to rock two of the C's I'm focusing on in 2024, connect and celebrate. On May 22nd, which also happens to be my birthday, I'm hosting a book launch party celebration, and I'd love to have you join me. After the show, all you need to do is visit your favorite online bookseller like bookshop.org, Amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com and pre-order a copy of Grief is a Sneaky Bitch, an uncensored guide to navigating loss. Then make sure you're following me on Instagram at Lisa Kefauver M S W. That's Lisa K-E-E-F-A-U V-E-R-M-S-W. And drop me a DM there to let me know you pre-ordered your copy, and I'll share the party invite leak with you. I can't wait to meet you, to thank you for supporting the show and, of course, the book, answer questions about the book, dish about behind the scenes of the podcast, and more. And, of course, just take some time to celebrate our lives together. Plus, I've invited a very special guest to join me as co-host. I can't wait to share that reveal with you soon. So after you've pre-ordered your copy of Grief as a Sneaky Bitch on your favorite online bookseller, don't forget to message me on Insta that you did. I'll send you the party invite link and the first of my many thank yous for your support. I know it's just a Zoom party, but I think I'm going to get dressed up in something fun and festive. How about you? Friends, I'm excited to share something. This new season of the podcast, Season 5... I'll be dropping episodes weekly. Yes, you heard me correctly. New episodes will drop each week. So make sure that you follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode when it drops. If you're not sure how to do that, you simply head to the Grief is a Sneaky Bitch show page on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. And then tap the plus sign in the upper right hand corner or click the follow button. After that, if this podcast means something to you, if it's helped you in some way, why not leave a five-star rating and write a review? You could also click the share button and send the show to a friend who might need it too. I appreciate every one of you for listening, subscribing, and sharing the
0: show. I think, you know, first and foremost, you know, I wish I could have written more on it, but, know. you know, editors. <laughs> I know. Molly, only have so many pages in a book. I hear you. I exactly. hear you. Exactly. You know, but I think we can't have grief without attachment, right? So it just is, for me, you know, it, it had to do a lot with trauma. You know, people who have an anxious attachment style are going to feel this in their nervous system in a different way than somebody in secure attachment or somebody who's grown up with secure attachment. If somebody has grown up with, you know, a lot of um, neglect or, you know, an unpredictable caretaker or parent, um, you're going to be really, really hyper focused on on needs and what's happening if they're there, if they're not there, how to keep them there. And so if you lose somebody that you are anxiously attached to in any capacity, that will feel like a trauma to you. And your nervous system will not feel safe, and it will feel as if you're in danger and I think you know attachment and the ways in which we attach are one of the most fundamental ingredients in how we grieve. It just is you know and it and and it is astonishing to me that we don't talk more about that, you know, including even avoidant, you know, and how do we do that because avoidant really has anxiety in it, and <laughs> how does that come out in grief? Yeah. So I would be curious kind of what your client was making of all of this,
1: yeah, well, I mean, a couple of things just for those who don't know just kind of the basic fundamentals yeah, of you. attachment, maybe let's rewind there and then I'll fast forward, but I just I know sometimes I get on shows with fellow social workers and we get nerd out a little bit. but tell us a little bit about attachment, and what i want what I want to preface this by saying is you know. Grief is love is a saying that's around my beautiful friend, Marissa Renee Lee wrote a phenomenal book around that. And I think it's true. And I think in a way grief is the loss of attachment. Yeah. Like grief only happens when we are attached to something, someone, some idea, some belief, even if tentatively, even if anxiously, right. That there's, there's that tether there, but how would you help us understand attachment in its sort of most, fundamental definition.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is something that we learn early on based on how our needs were met. And so, you know, if you had a caregiver that was attentive to your needs and you didn't feel like you were longing for something even before you could speak, um, you're going to feel like you were cared for and enveloped and your needs would be met. You wouldn't have to predict If you would be fed or not, you know, Um, and this is all, you know, before we could even speak Speak. for the most part. And so as we grow up, we sort of, you know, until seven years old, at least we have this imprint in how, you know, how safe we are in relationship and how we take that in into our bodies even. And so if you had an unpredictable parent, you know, or caretaker in any way, you are going to be just like I said before, you're going to be in a place where you are scared of that attachment, not being there or how to keep that attachment safe. How do I stay safe in this attachment? Um, or it could go in another direction and you become hyper independent and you do whatever you can to not need this attachment in some way. Um, I don't know how to simplify it. No, no, I think that was really, no, I think that was really
1: beautiful. And I think that context there is part of what then shows up when we think about our, our, the ways in which we do or don't feel equipped to care for ourselves in our grief, the ways in which we're behaving in our grief, I think are a, I don't know what the word is, is a magnification or is an example of how our attachment styles are playing out. I mean, I, Am um, Definitely anxious with some avoidant there. So there's some hyper independence. Yeah. But I think for a lot of people when they're grieving, if they maybe were an anxious, have an anxious style, they become incredibly hyper vigilant which means right. to be on the lookout for everything that can go wrong or will go wrong because that helped you survive as a kid if you had an unpredictable parent. But what that looks like when you're grieving is a lot of high anxiety, a high startle response, maybe high cortisol levels. You're you know, not sleeping well because you're always on the lookout. So I think I, that's why I appreciate that the relationship, ruminate. the yeah. ruminate, right? Um, which rumination really is avoidance, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, but so I think that that is important. And and I think, f, you know, f, I won't speak too much in this particularities about this client, but I mean, I'll even say for myself, I've been really thinking about the different ways in which my own grief around my cancer diagnosis, the way it's churning up my grief over my late husband, um, who I had a secure a relationship with surprisingly, given that I come from a very wow. anxious um, like from lots of anxious, you know, early childhood stuff, um, I think is helping me to start to understand, um, first have some more, I think we can start to have more compassion for ourselves, like not what's wrong with me because I'm behaving this way. I'm really startled. Whereas my sibling or my friend doesn't act that way. I can start to sort of look at it and say, Oh, this is old stuff. This is, this is old stuff that predates this particular thing. And this is how I learned how to keep safe and Mm -hmm. it's not maybe serving me now. I think that's the invitation for all of us. And that's why I think it's helpful to start to, and you'll get this readers when you look through the book, even though she said she didn't get to dedicate as much as Gina wanted in the book, there's some really beautiful information there about attachment. And I think for all of us to better understand how our attachment styles might be impacting the ways in which we're grieving, what barriers it might be putting up for us, what yeah. opportunities we might have to learn and to shift, not just our relationship with maybe the person we lost, but also how we're showing up with other people in the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's that's why I think sometimes therapy is, yeah. is the way to go, right? Because yeah. we, we We do delve into that area and, you know, a lot of people will wonder why they feel stuck or why they're feeling this so much or why they can't sleep at night. And, you know, uh, it's just this loss is everyone else in my family who had the same loss is, you know, able to think of it differently. And I think we have to look at attachment. We have to look at our nervous system in general. There's so many factors in that will affect how we grieve that we need to be attuned to. It yeah. isn't just sadness, anger, acceptance. Yeah. You know, denial. Any of that. It's if only. If only <laughs> it know? was that simple, right? <laughs> if only. Yeah. But it's it, that's why that's the all, probably the only way I say you know, hey, if if this is you or this sounds familiar to you or this hits you in some way that makes yeah. you feel curious or you know seen in some yeah. way inquire more reach out to someone you know yeah. talk about it more don't just say oh okay maybe you know i'm fine i'll be fine it's really worth exploring um because yeah. it heals not just this this moment but some you know but but moments that came way before yes and moments that will come ahead and i was going to say and shifts the
1: capacity that you have in future relationships too. right right yeah for sure and to your point I think knowing these things about ourselves can help us stop that guilt, shame, blame cycle that we get into about why we aren't able to do it or feel or see the world in the ways that other people do, because we start to understand that there's something much deeper. We have a myth of will and willpower. Mm hmm kind of collectively. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not that I'm saying that we can't change. I absolutely 100% believe that we can heal and grow and change. I, otherwise, I, I wouldn't be we wouldn't do this work, we wouldn't do be doing this work. And it's not just through simple mantras, or, you know, will, I think that's, um, you know, that's dangerous. So coming back Agreed. to that compassion that we might have, as we learn about these things that are more fundamental to us that are more in our core in our history allow us to soften in some way so that we can be curious as you said yeah and start to do some some um healing and growing and um shifting you know gina you said in the, again you brought in so many really beautiful client examples throughout the book and 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 speaking of sort of like um willpower and myth and the, and the way we uh, attend to our emotions you shared a story with your client live who had um learned early on some harmful beliefs about emotions like what emotions are appropriate what we are how we can express them i call mm-hmm. them um you know sort of the harm of the grief beliefs that we have around our emotions i wonder if i can read this one section back to you cuz i think it's I know I resonated with it. And I think a lot of the listeners will too. This is the story you were sharing um, about Liv's uh, relationship to her beliefs around emotions. You said, while being overwhelmed by loss, we're often confronted by our core emotional wounds, whether from childhood or previous trauma. For Liv, that core wound was shame around her vulnerability and emotions a debilitating lesson that was likely instilled in her from a young age by her mother. These kinds of emotional double whammies like feeling grief and then feeling shame for feeling such powerful grief are incredibly confusing and painful and have a nasty habit of showing up at the worst possible time. But it's just a small example of the ripple effect of loss and the secondary losses it brings in its wake. Just reading that again, really, that the double whammy of feeling grief and then feeling shame for feeling the power of grief. I think so many people can relate to that. And back to where we started at the beginning of like, how do you feel your feels? A lot of us learned not to feel our feels because we were criticized or judged or shunned or dismissed or received anger in mm-hmm. response to big feelings. Yeah yeah
0: being shut down and so we then feel as if we're suffering but we have to defend our suffering whilst we're suffering
1: <laughs> which
0: <laughs> doesn't allow you to feel the feelings yes right yeah right how do if we
1: recognize that in ourselves if we recognize in ourselves that when we start to feel big feelings we have a story of weakness or vulnerability which i don't think vulnerability is a bad word but the pejorative ways in which we use the word vulnerability if we recognize that about ourselves that we mm-hmm. struggle there what what's one thing we might say to ourselves one tip we might do if we're starting to feel those feelings and the shame story comes around being too much or feeling too much what what might mm-hmm. we need to know for ourselves or what might we do as we begin to wind down our conversation today Gina offers beautiful insights on strategies we can use to get unstuck from the harmful stories we often tell ourselves about the ways we're showing up in our own grief. I'm your host, Lisa Kiefaffer, and you're listening to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch Podcast with my guest, Gina Maffa. Would you like to stay in touch with me off the air? I know I'd love to connect with you more for sure. Maybe you're looking for some grief support tips or some behind the scenes content from the pod. Maybe you'd like to know the sources of my own learning about grief and what it means to survive and thrive in the world in the wake of loss. I'd love to share all of that with you. So here are a few quick ways to make sure we stay connected. First, sign up for my not-so-regular newsletter by visiting lisakefauver.com forward slash newsletter. That's lisa, K-E-E-F-A-U-V-E-R dot com forward slash newsletter. Just in case you're curious, it's called that because, like grief, this newsletter isn't on a schedule. Second, just head over to your favorite socials like Instagram and follow me at lisakefauvermsw. I'm doing my best to post at grief as a sneaky bitch on Instagram, too. We'll see how that goes this season. I offer a lot of candid shares there about myself, about the podcast, my work as a grief activist, and of course, my forthcoming book. And third, you know the drill by now. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite podcast platform so I pop up on your screen the minute the next episode drops.
0: you know sometimes even for me i'll like put my hand on my heart and say what what do i need yeah what does this what does this need what does this sense of weakness need what does this vulnerability need um and more of the time than not it just needs that witnessing and allowance it doesn't necessarily even need the whole story that goes with it it doesn't always need the history it sometimes just needs the the air to breathe and yeah. to see the light of day and i think the more we can just even bring in the allowance for that understanding to be there. Yeah. You know, i wasn't allowed to cry. I wasn't allowed to feel weak. I wasn't allowed to look weak. You know, my when it when it came to live, for example, you know, yeah. her mother would say she looked ugly when she cried. Mm. And, you know, and so it is a a painful thing to be shut down in such a way. Yeah. And, and, and so many layers in there about yeah. what is appropriate to at how it is to be, how appropriate you need to be in the world based on someone else's opinion of you. And when it seeps into how we grieve, um, all that does is bring up that talk about the rope or the tether to yeah. all of the other times yeah. <laughs> that this was how we felt and and so we wonder why it feels so big it's because it's it's not just this one isolated moment yes. it's it's every moment that is that that is connected to it yeah. and so you know when i when i talk with my clients about this it's like we can't just pull out the weeds we've got to get to the soil yeah and it's really important to clean out the system mm-hmm. and 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 so you can move forward thinking about this in a healthy way so you can accept yourself for all of the the things that anyone else in your life has deemed ugly within you or within your expressions and to give yourself that permission at the very least to clean the soil (laughs) and you know so that whatever we grow is growing from a healthy place at this point and and it's scary for so many people, right, to go back. Yeah. You know, it's and I think that's one of the scariest things about therapy is we don't know where it's going to inevitably lead. Yeah. Um but when it feels so big, it's never just that story.
1: Yeah. It's all the other times that you didn't get to feel the big feelings or all the other times you were shut down. And yeah. so that's why sometimes it feels outsized to the current experience because when you find that safety or that place where you can start to find some permission um, for yourself to feel it, you're you're kind of not making up for lost time, but you're you're kind of going back and even in a way gifting that those previous versions. I always talk to little Lisa, you know, I put my hand over my heart a lot and talk to little Lisa. Mm -hmm. You know, teenage Lisa and childhood Lisa and you know, sometimes we are um, learning to gift that version of ourselves, you know, the acknowledgement and the opportunity to feel whatever those feelings, but it can feel risky and scary. Because as you said, back to attachment, if feeling big feelings was a source of our disconnect. Yep. You know, whether it's gonna that's going to feel very dangerous, which is why it needs to be slow and modulated and Mm -hmm. contained and which is why it's not going to be, I just need to go have one good cry and then I'm going to be done. Right. It's going to be these kind of ongoing pieces. Yeah.
0: It it has to be right. You know, we are the one fell swoop society. We really are. (laughs) And, and,
1: and it's not wrong that we, I mean, even as I say this, of course we want that too, because who wants to sit in the suck? You know, it's not pleasant. Um, But, and I think, as you said, you know, I talk often on this show with others about the ways in which moving, turning to face my grief and being with my grief and my sorrow and my sadness and my rage and all those things give me license for awe and wonder and joy in ways that I Mm -hmm. didn't have before. I think Kind of coming to terms with these harmful beliefs we have around emotions, coming to terms with some of the attachment wounds that we might have, gives us all those things, but it also gives us the opportunity to engage in a more meaningful way in new relationships, in current relationships that we might never have had the chance to if we hadn't have, as you said, cleaned the soil, right? 100%. So it's not, this work isn't just about attending to the loss. Or losses that you haven't attended to, it actually primed you in a way to feel connected to people in ways that you maybe weren't capable of before because all of that was holding you back.
0: Yeah. 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 You weren't allowing it in. So you were living from this place of fear and disconnect and not even maybe knowing it. Yeah. But maybe feeling like things were always off or you were always, you know, scared to fully show yourself. Yeah. And you know, one of the I think one of the treasures of grief work itself is that it isn't just about the grief. Yeah. It's about it's about the life. It's about the future. It's yeah. about it's about the wounds of of you know c- Christmas past. And so yes. yeah. you know. Yeah. And and I and look, I mean, and I'm a pretty chipper person i mean i'm not and you you too right we're not doing grief work in this place of oh you know that's really bad heavy and sorry no i actually think doing grief work i mean it's hard but also i feel like it gives
1: me appreciation and joy and levity and, and lightness in ways um that is i think it would be surprising to people who are on the outside
0: I think that's the most surprising. Like yeah. You work in grief all day, but you that's look like you look like very happy. happy. What's <laughs> happening? You know, and I'm and I think because when you are working in grief, really in the trenches, you also get a bird's eye view yeah. of somebody. You see what has made them who they are today and yeah. where they can go. Yeah. If you know, if some things are tweaked and, and if freedom can be found in, yeah. you know, internally. And it and that is such a reward, such a privilege.
1: Yeah. It it truly is. It truly is. You know, as we begin to wind down the conversation, which I can't believe we're already saying that I feel like we could talk (laughs) for hours, but you had another um, series of things that you talked about at the end of the book. I've often talked about, you know, we talk about a lot grief styles, like, you know, everybody grieves differently Mm -hmm. because we have different grief styles. Sometimes we've used the terms like emotional or intuitive or rational grievers or even doesn't it. But you broke down this concept in such a phenomenal way in your book. You (laughs) called them grief rhythms, Um, the ways in which we had grief rhythms. And let me just tell you what, so many underlining and now's chapters. I, I, I called myself out on my grief rhythms. So I'm going to just name some of them, but I'd love for you to pick up on some of the few that are maybe yours if you want to share or just mm-hmm. some of the common ones. Yeah. So grief rhythms, I guess, in one way is, right, just the different styles or ways we approach our grief. Or mm-hmm.
0: And don't. hard
1: things. Or, yeah. and, or just or grief don't. and hard things or don't mm-hmm. approach. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so there's the survivor, the intellectualizer, the diver, the mover the compartmentalizer, mm-hmm. the bypasser, the emotional-spiritual <laughs> bypasser, the quality controller. What do we need to know about these different type, these different ways in which we engage or don't engage with grief? And why is mm-hmm. it important for us to know our own grief rhythms?
0: I think, you know, these to me are tendencies. We all, we all approach really hard times, whether it's a trauma a bad day, you know, a relationship breakup, whatever it is, we we all really do approach hard things with a similar rhythm and tendency. And so I wanted to and these are things I see in my clients and me and my friends, you know, and family. And so I wanted to point it out because I wanted to take out the mystery of kind of you know, for Josh for example, he's the first client I talk about in the book and for him he goes on bike rides and he's always moving and people think he's not necessarily always confronting his grief. You know, sometimes yeah. they think it's too much, but f- for him, he moves a lot. Yeah. And, you know, and so I think if we could educate people that there are different ways to grieve, there wouldn't be an expectation to do it differently, number yeah. one, yeah. but also to give ourselves permission to, to realize that we do just have an innate rhythm to the way that we cope. Yeah. And that it's okay to move through that. If we can know what it is that we do to cope, we might have a path forward. Then we yeah. may know, for example, I am an intellectualizer, right? I, I will tell you everything you need to know about what I'm feeling and I will not feel it. Yes. <laughs> I, Ooh, can I can report. relate. I felt called out when I read that. I right, felt called right. out. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me, right? Yeah. You and I yeah. are like the biopsychosocial crew. Yeah. <laughs> we can we know everything we can t- we can report it like the seven o'clock news. Mm-hmm. But when someone's like, How are you feeling? And I'm like, I'll tell you how I'm feeling, but I haven't felt it. Yeah. Right. And so it and if I actually take the time to feel it, oof, I can feel like I'm broken open. Yeah. This is my this is me. I'll gather all the books I can and all the research I can on what it is I'm experiencing but the emotions don't follow, right? So it's important then for me to say, okay, Gina, you've got to take time to sit quietly or allow those feelings to come up. And you've got to feel them because we've got to figure out a way for you to feel them. Yeah. Because emotions will find a way. They do. Emotions will find a way,
1: whether you decide you are going to address them or not, better to turn and meet them than for them to find a way. Cause they, as you talk about in the book, they will find a way into our body until illness. They will find a way into breakdown. They will find mm-hmm. a way into passive aggressiveness and all kinds of yeah. things. So totally. So, there's intellectualizer, which you just named, which we have a tendency sometimes to try to just mm-hmm. think our way through it. If only we could think our way through grief y'all.
0: Mm. I know. Right. I know. Um, but, but,
1: Alas, we can't. Now, each of these, whether you're the mover or the intellectualizer or even the diver, who, what, mm-hmm. is the person who's willing to kind of go big, deep in the feelings?
0: They want to go immediately in. They want to sign up for all of the support groups. They want to read all the books. They want to talk to anyone who will talk to them about their loss. Yeah. They want to feel all of the feelings. They want to sort of be in it. They want to always be in their loss. Yeah. Um, some of it is... A, a way to control it. Yeah. Some of it is a way to move through it, right, as quickly as possible, as we say. Yeah. Um. And some of it is because they really are somebody who can be in touch with their feelings and they're not afraid of that.
1: Yeah. One of the things I appreciated that you said when you sort of broke down each of these grief grief rhythms. And by the way, many of us are a compilation of many, right. even though we tend towards certain ones.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: one of the things that you you offered us is like everything else, which I love. There's the both. And none of these are bad coping styles or good coping styles. They're just styles that we Mm -hmm. need to be aware of. And each of them have their benefits and their deficits. You said even of the diver, because many of us might think the diver is the ideal one, the person who can just feel their feelings and go to the support groups and, you know, be Mm -hmm. present with their emotions. You said, um, desperate to feel the feels and feel better, you may exhaust yourself emotionally, yeah. overload on all things grief and loss, and neglect to listen to your body's signal that it's at capacity. You may also dive into the emotions headfirst without caring who your audience might be and experience the hurt that comes with then not being seen, met, or heard in your experience. Mm-hmm. I think we can yep. all relate to that. If this is you, remember grief isn't a race of feeling all you need to feel in one fell swoop. Yeah. Perfection. Yeah.
0: So it's the both and. It's it's all the both and. Yeah. And I I think it's just it's giving ourselves permission to to see ourselves as as rhythms and not bad qualities or bad patterns and that rhythms change and rhythms yeah you know they move and shift and and we will and you know what you may see yourself as in one way as a way of coping once you understand it and I'm, i mean part of this is education because look if you, if you are if you have people who are saying you know she's she's not paying any attention to her grief whatsoever she's just working and not taking any time off And they see you as the survivor, right? Yeah. And you can say, I don't, I can't because I don't have the luxury of grieving because I have to go back to my job, which has no bereavement leave. Exactly. Or I'm a caregiver or I've got four kids and I don't have the time or, you know, all of the above. It's going to help people understand you better and approach you differently. Yeah. Um, if you're working with a therapist, they can help you find ways in which you can have your needs met. And so for me, the more we know, so to speak, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I remember Saturday morning cartoons. Yes. And Saturday, yeah, yeah. The, the more morning, you know. You know. <laughs> I'm, I'm aging us. But, yeah. um, you know, I think I think it's it's just all of this is a permission to be gentle. Yeah in our understanding of ourselves that no matter what it is we're doing, it has pros and cons and we will swim within all of those Um, and that it's okay. But it's really just about understanding ourselves and the ways in which we cope with something so that we don't think it's wrong and then judge ourselves and then feel more, you know, despair around it, that it's really okay. Whatever your rhythm is, is mostly because this is how you were raised and this was how you coped with things or how you saw things you know coped with and uh, how they were modeled in your childhood and so it's okay it's just about understanding that and understanding doesn't come with judgment so no so beautifully said that understanding
1: doesn't come with judgment and being able to recognize your rhythms which you likely inherited as you just alluded to right from from your childhood can give you some grace for yourself and some patience. And so lack of judgment, it can also help other people better understand you. So if there's somebody who's really close to you, that might be worthy uh, explanation of like, this is just how I work. And I think for me, even certainly reading this book, reminding me again, but over the course of my various losses, when I keep coming back to the styles, because I'm definitely a sort of combination of Um, intellectualizer, survivor, for sure, right? And maybe a little compartmentalizer is sometimes our rhythms aren't enough, or they're not serving us Mm -hmm. because we're really leaning so heavily into one or two of them that we're missing the other things that we need. And so being aware yeah. of it is not just about giving ourselves grace, but it's also, as you said, that like we talked about before, it gets us to a place where we can understand what's the next best step. And the next best right. step might be stepping into being more of a mover or a diver or some other rhythm that might allow us to move from a get place in touch. of, yeah, get in touch or move from a place of stuckness, which many of us grievers feel um, that we're in in times, and sometimes that's because we've sort of just kind of gotten into this one rhythm of survivor or of intellectualizer, and we haven't mm-hmm. really gotten in touch or into um what it is we need to be with in our grief absolutely yeah,
0: absolutely yeah. phenomenal you know, i I appreciate that, yeah, I think it's it's a tricky experience, and any sense of agency that we can have um helps us take an take another step, yeah, yeah. Ooh, agency. That's a whole nother topic. We can get on for another (laughs) day. Sure
1: is. Sure is. Um, Gina, thank you so much for joining me on Grief as a Sneaky Bitch. Y'all, it's going to be linked in my show notes. Moving on doesn't mean letting go. A modern guide to navigating loss. This is essential reading. I was saying to Gina... I'm not sure if I'm going back to teach this next semester, but if I did, I'd be adding it to my curriculum for my loss and grief course. It's really beautiful. And for those of you, particularly who are in early grief, it's, you know, and, and reading sometimes is hard. It's really digestible and, and easy to follow. And there, she offers a lot of places to pause and check in and reflect. And so I think it's just really a beautiful companion um, for you as you navigate grief. So. Yeah, thank you Gina for joining Absolute. me on the pod today. I so appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for everything you're doing and I can't wait to read your book.
1: <laughs> no, we're going to get together do this again.
0: Yes, yes, for sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Truly. Yeah.
1: Thank you Gina. Thanks so much. Thanks everybody. Don't forget to check out Gina's book and remember if you're not subscribed to the podcast already, make sure you are so that you don't miss the next episode when it drops. And of course, if you love the show, go ahead and leave a five-star rating and write a review. You can write a review about the show or even make a comment in there about the wisdom that you learned from my conversation today with Gina. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. I hope you found Gina's heart and wisdom as moving as I did. Her years of experience as a therapist combined with her lived experience of losing her mom, shows up in the most beautiful way in our conversation. And of course, in her wonderful book, Moving On Doesn't Mean Letting Go. You can head to the show notes for today's episode to pick up a copy of your own. Hey, and don't forget, while you're online, you can pre-order a copy of my book, Grief is a Sneaky Bitch. And don't forget to message me to get yourself an invite to my book launch party celebration. Oh, and this season, I've committed to releasing the unedited version of these episodes on my new YouTube channel at Lisa Kefauver MSW. Thank you for listening. And if you found it helpful, don't forget to share this episode with others who might need it, too. If you do it on socials, don't forget to tag me at Lisa Kefauver MSW. And of course, if you loved it, I'd love to see a five-star rating and write a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. Thanks to Mike Moody at Permanent Record for the audio engineering support, and Guile Smith of Alafia Sounds for providing the music. Until next time, I see you, I hear you, and I'm holding you in my heart.